The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Another delicious Sunday morning broadcasting live out of Southern California. What's cooking for you this weekend? Is there a pot of chili planned for today or a batch of biscuits or a test run for Halloween? Tell us what's on your table this weekend. Our goal is to give you great ideas and inspiration for every kind of food this morning. We'll take you from the professional test kitchens to home kitchens to artisan food makers, extraordinary kitchens. And whether it's about daily dinner or kitchen tips or helpful hints, we hope that you'll sit down at our table and learn something new this morning. Great ideas, football food, and fall inspiration are here, and we have a great lineup, a full plate, in fact. So please stay tuned this hour and next as the delicious conversation continues. Good morning to you, Lana. Good morning. It is another delicious morning, and let me tell you what is planned. Coming up in just a little bit, you'll hear from the supermarket guru, Phil Lempert, with news and trends as to what you can expect for prices this fall and coming into the holiday season at your favorite grocery store. Also coming up, interior designer Nathan Turner is sharing his American style, his classic chic ideas for entertaining in a brand new book that's really beautiful. He loves blue and white stripes, and if you'd like to have an opportunity Opportunity to meet him, which we did this past week, in fact, and he did have a little blue and white stripe on. In fact, you have an opportunity on Thursday, October 18th. Celebrity designer Nathan Turner will be at Pottery Barn in Beverly Hills signing his new book and celebrating the launch. So please make note and mark your calendars. Also coming up in the new issue of Sunset Magazine, there's an intriguing article about heritage wheat farmers, and Elaine Johnson is going to give us the lowdown. Also, if you've ever done at that sweet little flower cafe in Pasadena, then you'll too be delighted that Christine Moore's first cookbook has released and we're going to dish with her. Plus the sommelier for the people, Michael Jordan, vice president of food and beverage at the ranch restaurant and saloon is going to tell us why you should be drinking rosé this season. Numbers are up on rosé. In fact, it's really incredible to see how rosé grape production has grown over the past years and we're going to talk about some of the best fall wine pairings for braises and venison and all of those hearty, wonderful comfort foods that we're enjoying as the season gets cooler. This is the first day, Mom, that I actually feel like it's gotten a bit cooler, like we're starting to change seasons. And I love that. And we hope that it inspires you to serve new and delicious dishes in your kitchen. By the way, we share new recipes every week and serve up seconds at chefjamie.com. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. So seeing that the leaves are just beginning to change, we know that Halloween is the first inspired holiday. And so this is our technique of the week. Every week we kick off with something new that hopefully makes you a better cook in your own kitchen. And this week we posted a technique all about a ghoulish delicious Halloween. 
So if you're getting ready for a spooky holiday, there are lots of great recipes on the website, but I have a few party tips for you. And more specifically, thought that you needed a couple of sweets planned to truly prove your culinary prowess. If you are a Halloween candied apple or caramel apple lover, you could be making them at home. And I have two recipes posted, an easy recipe for candied apples. The only thing you need, by the way, for a candied apple is a candy thermometer, which is easily found in the equipment section of any cooking shop. And you want to have a heavy duty pot and heavy duty pot holders to guard your hands from the hot sugar. And then caramel apples, which I think are the most gooey, delicious, delicious ultimate sweet for fall and if you make a glossy caramel coating and you remember one trick you will get a gorgeously beautifully dipped caramel apple with caramel that sticks all the way top to bottom during this season Lana one of the questions we get most is Oh no, with 18 exclamation points, what is wrong with my caramel apple recipe? And so listen closely. This is the one and only most important tip you need to know when making candied and caramel apples, whether it be for Halloween or come the holiday season. I suggest that you soak your apples for five minutes in a bowl of four cups of water to a tablespoon of vinegar. The vinegar removes that waxy residue on the apples and ensures that the caramel will stick. So no matter whether you're making your own homemade caramel or you're using a recipe that incorporates the individually wrapped caramels, which by the way is a great shortcut, you know, just those individual cellophane wrapped caramels Mm -hmm. in the candy bag Mm -hmm. melted down with a little bit of unsalted butter added to it makes a really perfect caramel apple dip but you must clean those apples well to ensure that the caramel sticks and that is truly the number one most important point when making candied or caramel dipped apples so the wax coating that makes the the apples look gorgeous in the store yes is a detriment (gasps) to candy makers everywhere Mm -hmm. and they do look beautiful and it actually does preserve the apple Mm -hmm. and it's said to keep it from bruising in the delivery process Mm -hmm. to your favorite supermarket as well and yes it's for beautification no doubt Mm -hmm. but you must remove that waxy residue again four cups of water to a tablespoon of white distilled vinegar and then my caramel water won't slip off the apple. Yes, because we have received countless so photos. Yes, it is frustrating. <laughs> Wondering what is wrong with the caramel. Did I not bring it to the proper temperature? You know, I, there, are so, there are so many issues when using a candy thermometer. By the way, this is not one of those. This is just a clean your apples well problem. And in fact, you'll find a candied apples recipe and a caramel apples recipe posted at chefjamie.com for trick-or-treat apples. Just love that. Uh, we received um, a terrific question from John as well this past week. You, know, you can always email us with your culinary queries to live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. John wrote in and wanted to know more about autumn greens. And I think it's a great question and one that certainly applies to the season. Um, Lots of conversation with Dr. Oz lately on superfoods and power foods. And the greens that come on not only the top of your beets, which, by the way, waste not, want not, you should never throw away. The beet greens are delicious. But also, now that we're into fall and slowly coming into winter, all of the beautiful Swiss chard and mustard greens and red chard and and radicchio start to show themselves in the produce section. So what do you do with all those greens? 
So asks John. And so we have answers, of course. I happen to love hearty greens. They make me think of good Southern food, right? Mm -hmm. And I like to cook down really hearty, uh, tougher greens, like mustard greens, in uh, a beautiful bath of good sautéed onions with butter and olive oil and a splash of preferably raspberry vinegar. Because as the flavor of the acidity of the vinegar dissipates, you get the sweetness of the raspberry very subtly compounded. And the greens cook and they get all smothered and yummy and delicious. Mm. It's a wonderful way to cook hearty, robust greens. Mm -hmm. But they're very high in nutrients. And the more tender of the greens themselves, like we're kale lovers. Mm -hmm. We talk about kale a lot on this show. And Dr. Andrew Weil was the first to introduce us to Tuscan kale or black kale because we've always bought green kale in the supermarket for years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can toss the raw greens into a salad, John. You can tuck them into a sandwich. You could saute them quickly. They're great in soups and omelets and risotto even. I happen to love them in an omelet. And um, earlier this week, in fact, we had kale in a frittata. Mm -hmm. And it was delicious. And it just goes sauteed into whatever the caramelized shallots you're starting with. And maybe there's some cherry tomatoes that burst from the heat in your saute pan there before you put the eggs and the cheese in and then bake it off in the oven. And you have a really bountiful fall frittata. You always want to look for fresh, crisp leaves that are free of blemishes. Don't buy the green if they're wilted or dried out. That means they've been there too long. You always want to look for the tender greens. And although they're available year-round, they're at their peak right now. So this is the time. They'll store very well in the refrigerator for a few days, at least, you know, three to five, say. But they'll store best if you wrap them in a damp kitchen towel or even damp paper towels. And then put that into a plastic bag. Yes, I do exactly that. And then um, seeing that it's um, uh, Fabulous Football Sunday, right? Um, I love this recipe that you have, Lana, for uh, incorporating greens into a big hearty pot of soup. Love it. Uh, with sausage of your choice. Yes. Chicken andouille, pork andouille. Oh, you could use anything, right? <clears throat> Hot Italian. Sweet spicy. Italian. How spicy mm-hmm. do you, do you like it? Get? Yeah. Yes. And it's just really celery, carrots, a leek, garlic, uh, cannellini beans. Nice. A can of any kinds of beans that you like. Yeah. Super simple. And if you have mm-hmm. sausages in the freezer, which, by the way, are one of my go-tos. You know, people are coming over, pull them out of the freezer, throw them onto a grill pan or on the backyard barbecue, put out some good stone ground mustard. Mm-hmm. I mean, sausages are a great go-to. But if you have sausages right now in your freezer or in the fridge and you have a bunch of kale or hearty green or the rest of the package of baby arugula, you can have a hearty soup, for a d- kale and sausage for dinner soup. dinner tonight. Exactly. Without having to leave the house. Exactly. Exactly. And don't forget, use low-sodium chicken broth. Yes, not always. Water. There's much more flavor going that way. Unless, of course, you've made your own stock from our Technique of the Week just a couple of weeks ago, how to make a really good chicken stock. You'll find that mm-hmm. lesson uh, to be learned posted at chefjamie.com as well. So we hope you'll check it out and let us know how your greens turn out this season. We hope you'll come cruise with us as well, our 10-day journey aboard Oceana's Marina Cruise Ship starts next September 2013, but we're planning now, and we already have guests signed up on board to travel the Baltic with us. We're going from uh, Denmark to Sweden with food from Germany and Poland and St. Petersburg, Russia and Finland 
Island in between, and I'll be teaching on board in the Bon Appetit Culinary Center, and we would love to travel with you and create delicious memories. So please check it out at chefjamie.com. And last but not least, if you are an onophile, a wine lover, you're going to want to hear about this. Fleming's Prime Steakhouse and Wine Bar is celebrating the centuries old art of wine blending with a very unique event this month. It's called Winemaker for a Night, and it's an opportunity for you to get with Raymond Vineyards, the award-winning winery located in Rutherford, Napa, and blend your own wine. There is a dinner being planned not only at Fleming's Rancho Mirage, but also at the Newport Beach location. It's $65 per person. Reservations are available only by phone, but you can learn more at Fleming's primesteakhouse.com. Mm, that is great fun to do. Really fun. Yeah. We did that at Crush, and it was pretty terrific. When we come back, the delicious conversation continues. What are you going to be spending on groceries this season? Supermarket guru Phil Lempert right after this. A delicious morning to you. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Looking for recipes that are quick, easy, and fun? We're serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Looking to increase your culinary knowledge, shop smarter? Well, then this conversation is for you. Phil Lempert is the leading food industry analyst in the U.S., a journalist and a trend watcher, and we are very proud to have him as one of our correspondents here on the radio. He shares uh, food and health news, new product ratings, money-saving tips, Everything you can get out of a shopping trip. And he's a very popular man, evidently. You know him from his website, Supermarket Guru, his daily newsletter, which we love, the Today Show as well. And we're delighted when he joins us. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Jamie. <laughs> we recently saw what I understand is the most watched show of Dr. Oz's show history. And I called you right away because we had planned for you to come on the radio. And in talking about topics... This was really interesting information. They talked about some of the best marketing tricks of the trade when it came to grocery shopping. And I know that that info comes from you first. So if you would, just give us the state of grocery shopping right now as we embark on the holidays. Well, keep in mind that prices are going up dramatically. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that, Consumers are very concerned about getting the most for every dollar. Um, Dr. Oz, and no surprise that this would be his most popular show ever, because we all shop. We all eat. In fact, on average, we go supermarket shopping 2.2 times every single week. Um, So no surprise in my mind. But frankly, what we need to do is every time we go shopping, not only have that shopping list, but make sure we're in the right state of mind and shop with our eyes open. I think that's what that's one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is most important. And that is to really read the labels, look at what you're buying peruse the entire section and this brings us to some of these tricks of the trade should you buy above or below the line of sight phil you really have to remember that whatever's in your direct line of sight either is the most popular product the most expensive product or somebody has paid for it to be there so you want to look from left to right top to bottom at all the similar products for example if you look at the olive oil section that now has over a hundred different brands of olive oil all of which are basically the same thing. Uh, the price could range for $2.99 for a liter up to $29.99 for a liter. So we need to be involved in, and shopping smarter. 
I think you make a wonderful reference to olive oil. We just read uh, this past week one of your features on olive oil uses in the Supermarket Guru newsletter. And you talked about EVOO, and I do very often. It's only 1% acid, and it shines, but only when you're using it for very pure flavor. If you're making a salad dressing or drizzling a dish at the end, but if you really want to cut costs, extra virgin olive oil's true beauty is only shining bright when it is used in its raw form, never with any heat at all. Uh, and the fact that you should put it or use it right before at the end of a dish. So that's an interesting perspective when you consider what you're paying for. Absolutely. And when you go up and down the aisles of the supermarket, there are so many similar circumstances. For example, you could buy cheese in three different parts of the supermarket. In the dairy case, you can buy it in the deli case or on the cheese table. And there are certain cheeses that have a standard of identity, like which is set by the government, cheddar cheese or Swiss cheese and so on. So if you're going to buy New York State Sharp Cheddar Cheese age 60 days, it's the same product no matter where you buy it. But if you buy it on the cheese table, it's probably going to cost you double. Isn't that interesting? In some of the big box stores and some of the larger grocery stores too, Phil, I've heard that there's a lot of lighting tricks of the trade used to make some foods more appealing. Does that have anything yeah, to do as well with the, the end cap? You know, those things that are featured on the ends of the aisles? Let's start at the end of the aisle. At the end of the aisle, we think that it's on sale because it's piled high. In fact, only about half the time is it actually on sale. You've got to read that sign very carefully. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the environment, whether it's the lighting, whether it's the temperature, whether it's the music, they all influence us, which is why the produce department is at the front of the store. We walk into the produce department, guess what? It's aromatherapy with all those fabulous mm-hmm. colors and aromas. They true? put us in a better mood. Um, when you go into the meat department, Typically, what you're going to see is you're going to see a different kind of lighting that's a little warmer as far as the lighting temperature to make the product look better. In the frozen food case, you're going to see those fluorescent bulbs that, Mm -hmm. frankly, make things look cooler. So there's a lot at play. Jamie, the best thing that you can do when you go supermarket shopping is never go hungry, cranky, in a good mood or a bad mood, and wear a blindfold. That's the (laughs) only way that you're going to be able to not be be influenced. But wait, we have the supermarket guru on our side. We can't go blindfolded. We want to be in the know. That's very funny, Phil. And we're hungry. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, we're always hungry. That's the problem. I actually read, Phil, that the best time to shop is on Wednesday night. According to Progressive Grocer, only 11% of shoppers go to the store on Wednesdays, and only 4% of customers shop after 8 p.m. Now, I happen to be a night owl, and I was raised by one, too, so I'm sure, Mom, that we spent plenty of time in my childhood at a supermarket late, Uh which is why I tend to shop often later, and I sort of like that it's quieter. There's no question about that, but even more important is Wednesday is when It's called Best Food Day. Most of the products go on sale. So if you look at your newspaper circular, you go online, you shop Wednesday night, you're going to get the pick of all those specials before, you know, those extreme couponers come in and clear the shelves. Okay, so now we know. 
Oh, I love it. Tell us what we should start looking for, what we can anticipate prior to Halloween and with Thanksgiving approaching. You always give great suggestions as to what we should buy up now. Bad news is the prices are going up. Uh, You and I have talked about before the fact of beef prices, turkey prices, chicken prices. Now the report comes out that pork prices and bacon prices are going to go up because of short supply. Yeah, we're calling it the bacon apocalypse, just so you know. And we're stocking up, Phil. And you know what? I'm very proud to tell you that. A freezer full of bacon makes me very happy. It makes me happy as long as you're putting it in a Ziploc bag, a freezer Ziploc bag, and dating it with a Sharpie. Because no matter what the product is, it's not going to last forever. Bacon in the original package is still only going to be good about six months. Oh, good to know. What else should we be buying up now? Anything in the canned section or non-perishables that we can put our efforts towards? Bottom line is between now and probably next January, February, anytime you see any product that you're going to use, Mm -hmm. that you use on a regular basis in cans or boxes and jars that's on sale, stock up. You're going to save money because I guarantee that the prices come the spring are going to be higher for us. Hmm. Um, And also what we're going to see, I believe, and one of our predictions for this holiday season is we're going to see more food truck inspired holiday meals. Forget the turkey, forget the ham, forget the brisket. It's going to be everything that we've experienced in the past year from food trucks. And I wouldn't even put it beyond certain people to have, you know, their Christmas or their Hanukkah or their Kwanzaa where they've got bison hot dogs with all different kinds of toppings, both to save money and to add flavor. I think that's genius. I'd gladly go to the Kogi truck Thanksgiving festivities. <laughs> that's brilliant. You absolutely. always absolutely more fun. That's and we right. Want, we want tasty food. More Let's friends. The turkey. You're invited too, Phil. We always love sure. when you enlighten us. Thank you. On supermarketguru.com, by the way, if you'd like to learn more about freezing 101, there's a terrific piece under latest news. It is smarter shopping, healthier eating, better li- living. The Lempert Report and Phil Lempert. You can always ask Supermarket Guru as well and continue to stay tuned as we're proud to call him one of our correspondents and you'll learn it here. Phil, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you soon. I know Lana does too. Thank you both so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, this is how you can make your wonderful world of food even better. There's more delicious conversation right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Please don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. This is your lifestyle show, whether it be the culinary landscape or eating healthier, smarter, or better. The perfect wine pairing tips shared here and everything to make your life that much more beautiful on a Sunday morning. I'm so excited to share this most talented gentleman with you. You know him, of course. He's Nathan Turner, the chic classic designer who has transformed Hollywood homes and made a name for himself crafting gorgeous, elegant affairs. His Los Angeles-based design store merges his three passions, design, food, and travel, and his newly released decorating book, his first book from the famed interior designer, is called Nathan Turner's American Style, and it's fabulous. He's joining us this morning to share his effortless, entertaining ideas and his very good taste. Good morning, Nathan. We're glad to have you. Good morning. Wow. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. Well, definitely. Now you have to live up to it, okay? I'm I'm terrified. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Talk to us, if you would, about this 
as you call it, barefoot, fuss-free, high-style sort of lifestyle per se because you do kick off your shoes and believe that our homes should be comfortable places to live. 100% true. I, I, I guess it's probably due to the fact that I'm a native Californian and I wholeheartedly embrace the whole kind of California way of living. And I think that in today's world where people have so much on their plate, no matter what they're doing, um, people are busier and busier and they kind of crave that way of living. But why should one sacrifice style and living well, ultimately is what it's about for me, um, just because you want to do things in a slightly easier, relaxed way. And that's what kind of my whole philosophy and work is about. You talk about uh, three sections in the book, going coastal, city living, and going country. So I thought if I threw those three topics out individually, you would give us an idea if we wanted to add a coastal feel to our homes, first and foremost. Lana and I both live near the beach. And I don't know, maybe am I coastal because I have this beautiful round glass lamp, Nathan, and it's filled because you can open up the top with seashells. Does that make me beach living? Yes, very. You're on your way. Okay, good. What else can I do? Well, it's all, it's for me, there's, it's about a a color, a light color palette and, Mm -hmm. and also letting the in, you know, the outdoors in, which is a very kind of coastal way to live. I mean, the I, I say it in the book that it's, very the the classic is the kind of blue and white color scheme, which I love. I, I could put blue and white stripes on everything, including <laughs> myself and my dogs and <laughs> everyone around me. But there are other you know ways to achieve it, and it's it's through you know certain kinds of materials. As soon as you said glass, the glass is light, and it you know it, it lets the light through. Um, certain kind of light metals and 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 light fabrics i i, I like um outdoor fabrics used inside mm. so you can kind of use lighter fabrics but they still have a wear and tear ability to them um that's like the number one thing i would say if you want to do kind of that white beachy look and you have a bunch of kids and dogs then then use outdoor fabric it, it, it you know hard to destroy it it's Stains don't stay on it, and you get that look, and um, you still get to live in it. That is so simply smart. I love it. Absolutely. What if you want to be more of a city-living kind of guy or gal? What can we do to transform to a more, is it a more contemporary or modernist approach? Well, you could say that, but then, you know, you look around, and there's so many beautiful traditional homes and apartments and cities as well. I think it's a, a chance to, like you said, kind of pare it down a little bit and 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 bring in sleeker lines on, on your furniture. And I think that the city is a great place to introduce a lot more color too, because mm-hmm. quite often you're not, you know, people don't have gardens or outdoor spaces in the city, so it's nice to punch up the color and, and use color on the walls and in your fabrics and, right. and those kind of choices to and then make it interesting. Lastly, if we want to go country, I read in an interview that you did that someone asked you if you weren't an interior designer, what would you be? And you said a country music star sensation. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I had half a voice, I'd be pursuing it. I love that. So if we want to go country... Uh, Of course, uh, you know, more like the meadows, Mm -hmm. not like the music per se. How can we add that feel to our homes? Uh, Country for me is about textures and bringing in different textures and wovens and kind of a heavier palette um, and and kind of a 
deeper, richer color palette as well. You know, you start with your great neutrals and browns and greens. And I kind of always think of what colors are around me in the country and a lot of great greens and yellows and, you know, the colors from the trees. But it's really that kind of textural thing I love because it makes you feel so cozy. And Yeah. Oh, it really does. Love that. Do you have a favorite color to work with, Nathan? I do. I love blues, all shades. I never met a blue I didn't like. Hmm, really? And is there a particular blue uh, profile that we should choose from, whether it's the walls or a piece of art or something to accent our coffee table? I think it's such an easy color, and it's such a kind of neutral color for the sexes as well. I think that kind of husbands and wives like it but I think that it's a, a, the kind of color where you could put a go a, a lighter blue on the walls and do the whole room blue or you could go more dramatic cerulean blues or kind of dark navy blues as as you said as accents as you know pieces on you know vases on bookshelves and things nice. on the coffee table. Okay, Nathan Turner says blue, Mom. So we're going blue. If you just tuned in, by the way, you're late. We are dishing with interior designer. His classic design and effortless entertaining being highlighted in the newest book release called Nathan Turner's American Style. And this is all about entertaining and living and celebrating. When it comes to entertaining, Nathan, there's a piece in the book that you mention, and I absolutely love it. It says that we should never wait to have a party until we have an entire set of silverware that matches or a plateware that matches, right? That if you can mix and match or find a color scheme that works together, that's the reason to celebrate. Will you elaborate, please? Yes, then go for it. Let me tell you, I, as someone who loves to entertain, and then I've heard so many times, well, my house isn't finished or I don't have enough of the dishes, you, there, it will always be something. And the whole point of entertaining is to spend time with people that you like to be around. And so don't wait. I love the mix-match look. If you have – I actually kind of go out of my way sometimes. I think it's a really easy way. You can scour thrift shops and even Salvation Army and, and Goodwill, and you can, uh, you know, pick a color palette. So, you know, pick reds and then, you know – go for it and, and and mix and match. You can do stripes with florals and, and different patterns. As long as it's in the same color palette, it will look fantastic. Actually looks kind of collected and chic. Yeah, it really does. There's this beautiful photograph. That, by the way, the photographs in the book are extraordinary. Thank you. I want to crawl into all the beds and sit in all the chairs I and like put vases of all the flowers on your pages in my house. Um, but on that table setting detail page, just across from it, there's um, blue and white with a netting over it and oh, lots yeah. of mix mash match dishware. And Lana, I love this. I love the look that, you know, we have one plate of this from food styling and one plate that looks like that, Nathan. Right. And if I put them all together on a table, they might just work. I think that's, I think that's just it. And, and can I pick one color that's kind of your heavy, you know, your base color? And if you see on that table, it was blue, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I, I put that on the tablecloth. And then, then the other kind of thread throughout is there's a little bit of blue in all of those dishes. And, and not, a, you know, there's a ton of other color, right. but that gives it some kind of continuity. And, and even though it's a real big jumble, it still makes sense. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely love it. And I love your red idea, by the way, because I love red. I have what I call my Opus One wall at home. <laughs> it's a, a red wall. And I'm thinking if I put red tablecloths down um, and mixed and matched, it would really just 
be this this blown out beautiful look. It sounds like it'd be fantastic. Okay, I'm running home. Will you come over? <laughs> if I have a party, would would you grace us with your? I would love to. I okay. would love to. I people, you know, I always see people to invite me, and I would get so many people saying, "Oh, I don't want to have you over. I'd be embarrassed. You throw such nice parties." And let me tell you. I'm just happy for the invitation. <laughs> I'm just happy that I'm not the one cooking that night. I, I understand that feeling for sure. You do a lot of cooking, though, and I love that you combine all of your passions for uh, design, for food, for travel all together. There are wonderful recipes oh, in the book. Yeah, the recipe for Marion's apple spice cake looks so marvelous. That is so dear to mm. me because that was my great-grandmother's recipe, and she passed away a year ago at 102, oh, wow. and she was a fourth, let me tell you. And that recipe has been around, you know, probably 85, 90 years, mm-hmm. and it's so simple. And we started making it because we always had an abundance of apples around from the mm-hmm. apple trees. And you and with apples comes applesauce. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an easy recipe. Everyone has a, a, a jar of applesauce in, in the mm-hmm. cupboard. and kind of throw it together and in one big bowl and, and it's like so moist and it's, and for me it's a, it's a comfort food oh how marvelous and i'm gonna make that along with your corn pudding Ooh, oh that, that's wonderful that looks so good and your oh. guacamole nathan and then you're holding out on us there's a recipe <laughs> well there's not there is no recipe actually there is a photo and a reference in the book to a roast chicken with apples and sage from your garden that you speak about and yes. that's so quintessential fall to me but there is no step-by-step recipe I know. We had to, we, we, I had to save some for the cookbook. Yeah, That'll be good. Nice. Oh, the Nathan Turner cookbook on the way. I love yeah. it. It is all about this beautiful, effortless entertaining and the fact that you can design your own home in your own style with a little bit of inspiration and ingenuity from the best. Tabletop design, easy party themes, original menus with recipes, all compiled in the new, the first book release from the famed interior designer and entertaining expert Nathan Turner. It's called Nathan Turner's American Style. It's simply beautiful. It Thank really you, is. Thank you, guys. Congratulations. Really, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on the radio. I'm going to use your book as a manual, Nathan, and when I have a dinner party and all my red together, I'm coming down. And I feel proud of it. I hope you will. I would love it. We would love it, too. Thank you for sharing your stylish approach. Thank you for having me. We love making your life more beautiful. One radio show, one Sunday at a time. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Be right back. I like to say cook like a chef, bake like a pro. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio You're learning culinary experts and visionaries tips, tricks, and techniques to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. There is a new wave of wheat, an artisanal world of wheat on the rise, and it's really an incredible trend when we consider buying local and eating sustainable and organic. There is a whole new world of flour out there and a wonderful article in the current issue of Sunset Magazine, The Best of the West, which we love. Elaine Johnson has written Wheat's New Wave, the feature. She is actually the associate food editor of Sunset Magazine and has been a journalist for over 20 years, sharing the best in food. She joins us live, and we're delighted to have you. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you. Okay, so tell us, there is a new revolution, essentially, in baking, and it stems from the wheat product that we are able to resource 
so much closer to home than ever before. That's right. And we might think of wheat as something kind of generic, a sort of blank canvas. But now that it's being grown locally, there's a whole world of variety that we're seeing. Um, Different types with different uses, subtleties of flavor, perhaps a bit of spice or chocolate, and a real richness and sweetness all their own. I think it's interesting the way we speak about wine and terroir, you know, the soil or whatever the water composition of that actual land itself, having lent its flavor profile essentially to the grape, that same concept is being shared in the world of wheat. It's really amazing. Like you said, uh, you know, some wheats are being said, these artisanal wheats, to have subtle flavors of chocolate or a hint of coffee. That's incredible to me. It's amazing, isn't it? And I think one of the reasons, not only that they're different from each other, but one of the reasons they are so flavorful is that they're so fresh. They're not only being grown locally, but they're being milled locally. So just as with any other food, fresh is is better and more Mm. flavorful. The same is true with wheat. Definitely so. There's also a new uh, nutrition factor to these artisanal wheats that is being touted. They say, and according to your article, I thought it was so interesting to learn that because the entire wheat berry or seed is ground whole, and you describe that as whole milling, right? That you actually get a greater benefit and fewer losses of the vitamins and the nutrients that we need in our diets. That's right. And I used to think that all whole wheat flour was the same, that you see the words whole wheat and you you think that's what you're getting. Sure. But in fact, what happens with mainstream supermarket flour is it um, is ground with something called a roller mill, which separates it into components. You've got the, the rich germ that comes out, the bran, the um, starchy endosperm. Then those are recombined to make whole wheat. They're not necessarily recombined in all the same proportions, And there are some nutrients that get lost in the process, especially vitamin E. Um, By contrast, this locally grown and locally milled wheat is being ground with with, um, processes where the entire wheat berry stays together. And you don't lose any of those parts. And they use a cool temperature, too, which um, helps preserve the vitamins. When we say local, we mean very local as well. The uh, actual farm, I know that your article in Sunset Magazine, the October issue was written uh, about, was in the heart of Washington's Skagit Valley, right? That's right. And I think it's amazing that just above Seattle, we're growing artisanal wheat. If we only knew where the mass-marketed wheat in this country came from, I mean, multiple mills, far-off places, and how long it sits on the supermarket shelf before you actually bake that loaf of bread, we would all be looking for artisanal wheat in our area. Definitely. And, well, a lot of of the bread wheat, for example, is grown in the middle of America. Yes. But we're seeing this movement all over the West. Um, in Northern California, for example, Yolo County, Mendocino County, a lot in the Northwest, even Alaska, outside Fairbanks, farmers are growing wheat. Really? For the first time, and there's a mill that's come up for the first time since Prohibition. So it's, um, it's fascinating. Eugene has the first mill since the 19th. 20s. And I think this is a trend we're going to be seeing a lot more of all over the West. 
I hope so. I think it really spreads the incredible beauty of artisanal products to far broader than just cheese and pork. And I think it's going to make a, a huge and incredible difference in the flavor profile of our foods, of how we digest these wheat products, hopefully lessening the allergy issues. We want to know our wheats, though, Elaine. So give us a rundown, if you would, because there are bread wheats and pasta wheats, and then some specialty-use wheats that you highlight in the article. So we need to know what's out there and what to use when. Well, wheat's a huge family. There are probably a 1,000 varieties, but fortunately, we don't have to worry about seeing a thousand varieties on the shelves. I like to think of wheat as falling into four main groups, depending mostly on the, how the flour acts in cooking. So as you mentioned, there's, there's bread wheat, and dough made with this kind of wheat, um, it's strong, it's um, high protein, it gets stretchy, it, it traps the carbon dioxide as it rises, and you get bread with a soft, springy crumb. Mm. So some of the varieties that you might see within the bread category, there's um, hard red. That's the most common wheat. It has a nice, whole flavor. There's hard white. That's just an albino version of the hard red. So it's still whole wheat, but it's white. There's an heirloom variety that I love called Red Fife. Yes. And that has outstanding rich flavor, lots of elasticity. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Red Fife. As am I. We had an opportunity to taste Red Fife from an artisanal uh, wheat grower. And interestingly enough, that's the profile that I spoke about having chocolate finish or a little coffee essence. It was really amazing to see the depth of flavor. It's incredible, isn't it, when you think of wheat as being its own ingredient, how much flavor it can have. Yes. So there's the bread wheat. That's the first in the the four groups. There's pastry wheat, you also mentioned. Um, This is a weaker, lower-protein wheat. It's um, fabulous for cakes, cookies, pies, muffins. The the words you're likely to see on a package... um, are soft white. You, mm-hmm. you might also see it called whole wheat pastry flour. It's mild flavored, silky. It's very silky, yes, and it's softer, and it makes, like, if you were to sift your flour a dozen times, that's what I relate pastry flour to, right? That sort of fluffy silkiness yeah. that yeah. I love. Another um, group in the four is pasta wheat. These are high-protein wheats that are strong, but they're not very elastic. So the most common one you're likely to see is durum, and that has a nice golden color. And then the last category I like to call um, specialty-use wheats. This is sort of a mix of things. Um, You can cook them as, as whole grains, as the wheat berry, as you can any of these, by the way, or you can experiment with the flour in bread. So um, one of the ones we're seeing is Emmer Faro, and I know we see a lot of this imported from Italy, say, but now it's also being grown in the West. It's an ancient wheat. It's um, high in protein. It has these nice, long, chewy berries that are really beautiful to look at and, and um, beautiful in a salad. Yeah, we love farro in this family. Yeah. um, The flour isn't very strong, though. If you try to bake with it, it it doesn't work so well. So So you have to blend. Exactly. Blend it with bread flour. And what would the blend be, a 50-50? Yeah, that's about right. Okay. 
Okay. And and you can blend at home, by the way. There's a wonderful resource section in the gorgeous article. I love all the photos. I think that really just brings us closer to our food, Elaine. It's called Wheat's New Wave in the Sunset Magazine issue, the October issue, bringing us into fall, the best of the West, a magazine that we do love. There's a wonderful resource guide where you can find online a resource for many of these artisanal wheats to find them locally sourced, grown close to home. You can look for Bob's Red Mill, some of the brands that you might recognize are actually considered somewhat artisanal in that they're very much leading the movement, Elaine, in making sure that their processes are wholesome, that they're uh, really using what I feel is the fresher product. And I like how you talk, too, about looking at your uh, local farmer's market to see if there will soon be a wheat supplier. What an amazing Mm. place to consider buying flour. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I love that. If you don't see it, ask your farmers and they, they may be thinking about growing it. And then also there's this whole wheat waffle recipe that we can't wait to try. It might just be breakfast this morning. Whole wheat waffles with a spiced fall fruit compote. A combination of pears or apples and pomegranate seeds and a little bit of butter and brown sugar and cinnamon. That sounds hearty and delicious. And a good whole wheat waffle. Mm-hmm. We'll let you know how ours turns out, Elaine. Terrific. <laughs> we love that recipe. And you can try any kind of local wheat that you find at the market in it. Terrific. Well, we look forward to learning more from Sunset Magazine. And we thank you for your passion for food and continued contributions. We hope you'll come back and join us again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. As the delicious conversation continues, stay tuned. You just might learn something. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Be right back. Welcome to the second hour of Delicious Conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. The culinary wisdom continues. It's our second hour of delicious conversation this Sunday morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Welcome back. We are sharing more delicious conversation coming up. Master sommelier, our resident Michael Jordan with the Cork Report. But first, we got a chance to catch up with Chef Christine Moore. She's a beautiful baker and the owner and proprietress of Little Flower Cafe in Pasadena. Her new cookbook released. Take a listen. We have a long friendship and history with this lovely and extraordinary woman, and we are so delighted for her continued success. It was her caramels and those lovely, puffy, delicious marshmallows like little clouds of heaven that set the world by storm, the food world, that is. What came after that was the Little Flower Cafe in Pasadena, and owner-chef Christine Moore has made a family of this wonderful cafe where people flock for fabulous food and truly just delicious dishes. We are very excited for her first cookbook release, and we're delighted to be sharing with you recipes from Little Flower, recipes from the cafe, Uh, Author, chef, and owner Christine Moore joins us live, and it's always a pleasure to be back in touch. Good morning. Good 
morning. Good morning. Congratulations, Christine. We're so excited for you. And, you know, this sweet, lovely little book arrives at our office, and Lana unwrapped it. I mean, it was almost like a present. (laughs) And we get a lot of cookbooks. You know that. And she started to turn the pages, and it just, it had that warmth about it, the feel of your cafe, of who and what you are. Oh, Jamie, thank you so much. You have um, impressive training from Paris uh, as a pastry chef working for Nancy Silverton for much time. You've had nationwide success with your candies. But it's these recipes that people have really been wanting to enjoy and appreciate when they're not in your cafe. And so I thought we should just delve right in and dish immediately on the extraordinary tarts that you make, whether it be the heirloom tomato or the olive and thyme, and ask if you would teach us how to make them at home. Well, certainly. And that's why I wrote the book, because we have such a tremendous following here at the cafe. And I really believe that if you can make something, you need to pass it on. And I give out recipes all the time. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to put them all in a book for people to make at home because sometimes you don't want to cook at home and you want to come to the cafe and eat. So yes. I was excited for people. Plus, you know, what I do is very simple. And just because it's in a store and it's in a lovely environment, sometimes people think that it's magic, but it's really not. You can have beautiful, delicious food at home just like you can have in a restaurant. So When I created the book, it was important to me to have beautiful photographs for every recipe. And they are. And my friend Ryan Miller did the photographs. And you just have to see everything before you make it. Hmm. And I also really just wanted a one-page recipe. The recipes inside are everything that we make at the cafe nearly every day. Including the quick puff pastry. Which, by the way, that is magic. You just mentioned that, you know, there's no magic to it all the time that you can cook at home. This is a magical recipe. Right. Well, you know, people that cook at home need to know that sometimes what we do in the kitchen really isn't all that complicated. Mm -mm. You just need the right recipe. Right. And this quick puff pastry is what starts the tarts off to be truly delicious. I love that you say, by the way, there's no thawing time required. You can actually put this recipe together and make your own puff pastry from Christine's recipe Mm -hmm. in probably less than the amount of time it takes to take out the box, open it up, take out the package, open the paper, and let it thaw. Right, right. And, And there's just some elements that you should have in your larder, in your refrigerator, in your freezer, if you want to have an easier time entertaining and some of, you know, the pot frise and the quick puff pastry are mm-hmm. two doughs that, you know, you can, you can already roll out. You can have your tart shells as we do at the restaurant. We roll our tart shells. We put them in the quiche, quiche pans and then we put them in the freezer. So, you know, you, there's no reason why you can't do that at home too. You can roll out your puff pastry into a sheet and have them layered in the freezer, ready to go. You have people coming over. You take a half sheet of puff pastry. You put your ingredients on it. You throw it in the oven, and you have a delicious handmade tart. The preparation in advance that you save yourself so much time with is really incredible when you get into the habit of doing that. Yes, and that's why what we call mise en place in the French. And that's our training. That's Mm -hmm. right, and that's what I was going to say. That's the classical French approach Mm -hmm. that Christine and I take, and you too, Lana, to cooking, and especially with the holidays, we're embarking on the busiest season of the year, Mm -hmm. and we're all busier than ever in life. Mm -hmm. Christine, you with your three kids and a blooming business, uh, I mean, 
you we have, all to, have plan. to prepare. We yes. can make Most our definitely. cookie doughs now and put them in the freezer now. We, we, when you're a baker, you can't make something at the drop of a hat. You can't just sear a steak and have a cake. You know, you can't. You have to really <laughs> prepare. You can't just pull a birthday cake out of thin air. And so as a baker, you're always thinking three days out, mm-hmm. you know, because doughs need to rest and relax. And, you know, there's a lot of tips that I freeze all the doughs. They just bake better. Mm. Well, I think I hope we'll all remember this because it's really the way to enjoy whether it be exactly. a dinner or a yes. party or whatever you're doing, mm. that the pre-preparation is what counts. Exactly. And it keeps you relaxed and mm-hmm. it keeps you enjoying it and it keeps you from rushing at the last minute and regretting that you invited 12 people over. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that true? You can put together a tart in minutes, whether it be for football fanatics and you want to do something rustic with crumbled sausage and some bitey cheese. or sausage and spinach and some cheese. Or you want to do ham or, yeah, absolutely, throw an egg on top of it, anything. Ooh, love that. And I, I happen to love the heirloom tomato and feta tart to make right now. We're at the end of the heirloom tomato season. And because we've had extended heat from what is no longer summer and oh. is truly fall now, <laughs> much to everyone's disbelief, uh, Christine makes a mustard bechamel sauce, a standard mothered oh, sauce, which she puts it. in a couple of tablespoons of stone ground mustard. I love that pungent bite to offset the richness of the cream, Christine. Right. It really lightens the richness of the cream. And you can also use the the seeded mustard, and it gives it a little bit of a crunch, a little texture. It gives it a fleck of ingredient there that you're not quite sure what are all those little spots all over underneath. Right, but I have to have more. And then a drizzle of honey over to offset the acidity of the tomatoes. I love your balance the way that you cook, Christine, and all of the recipes really showcase that. You have um, that bechamel sauce with olive and thyme to create a tart, a zucchini and Spanish goat cheese tart. And this is really the baking fundamentals of little flour recipes from the cafe. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because you might have missed a quick tip or chef's trick that would make your dishes come alive with flavor. Christine Moore is here and her first cookbook's released and we believe it is a wonderful, lovely addition to your year-round baking and to really making dishes, I think, that simply impress. Talk to us about mushroom biscuits, please. Mm. Oh, this is the perfect Thanksgiving mm. biscuit, I've decided. Thanksgiving. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. You know, a delicious buttery short dough with, and you can use a melange of mushrooms. You can go to your local market mm. and pick a handful of this, a handful of that, a handful of this, you know, four or five different mushrooms, slice them up, saute them, add a little thyme, whatever's in your garden, and release all the liquid, really cook them down, caramelize them, and fold them into this delicious biscuit dough, cut them, then freeze them. Yes, (laughs) there's that freezer again. And then bake them from the freezer. And I didn't put this in the book, but what would be a tremendous addition to this would just be a sprinkle of truffle salt over the top of them. Oh, perfect. Okay. Or a truffle cheese or a truffle butter. You know, just the earthiness of the truffle and the mushroom and the buttery biscuit. Mm. Who needs turkey? 
<laughs> or wait, wait, wait. You might not need turkey for the biscuit, but the next day when you have that leftover sandwich and you want to pile right. the right. turkey and the cranberry the sauce. Oh, yes. And some melting brie on one of Christine's mushroom Yum. biscuits. Oh, oh I'm in. Here's something to remember, too, with day-old pastries. Wait, Christine? Yeah. Pause there, because that is the greatest. You must come back and listen. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, more of those wonderful insights that you need to know about pastry, the brie and mushroom sandwich that you talk about in the book, and then we're going back to sweets, the blood orange tart that is already made Christine Moore famous. Little Flower Recipes from the Cafe is the cookbook. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana and Christine live with you. There's more after this. Don't touch your dial. A delicious dish can inspire memories. We're diving into the culinary world this Sunday as we do every Sunday. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio serving up seconds. Learn more at chefjamie.com. Christine Moore, owner and chef of the Little Flower Cafe in Pasadena and her Little Flower Candy Company, has uh, just had her first cookbook released. And we're dishing with her baker's background on how to make the upcoming holidays super simple and how to make year-round entertaining and delicious dishes out of your own kitchen. Christine, we left off. That was a quite a clencher uh, with your suggesting a couple of tips about baking. So please continue. Well, you know, a good a good thing to always remember with your pastries and some of your savory pastries too is texture is really really important, and you really want to bake well. You yep. want to caramelize. You want to push that puff pastry till you. Just not so sure if you can leave it in the oven any longer. You really want it crispy, crunchy, delicious. And these mushroom biscuits that we were just talking about are delicious the next day. Throw them in the toaster oven for a few minutes. Crisp them up. Refresh them. Get that texture back. Get that moisture out. It really makes a huge difference. So do you suggest that they be stored at room temperature or in the refrigerator? I just... Room temperature. You store them at room temperature. And then when you go to serve them again, you sort of refresh them using the oven. Sure, sure. Absolutely. You know, that's a great way to serve leftovers. Just refresh it in the oven. Yeah, I think so many of us still, I mean, for, you know, ease and, and... true comfort and quickness still go to the microwave. And I believe that the microwave is meant for only a few things. I think it's great to reheat a cup of coffee because you got caught on the telephone. I think it's terrific to melt chocolate. And after that, I think that we have far better equipment that treats our food far better. Well, I have to admit, I've never owned a microwave. (gasps) You've never owned a microwave? No, and I don't use one in my restaurant. And your children don't know from it? They don't know from it. I think that's brilliant. Thank you for keeping the slow food movement going. You know, uh, it's it's not the destination, it's the journey. Oh, isn't that true? Right. I'd like a journey to your brie and mushroom sandwich, uh, as long as we're on mushrooms. Delicious, with a little tiny, tiny bit of lemon peel and yes. fresh thyme on the top. Just a little aromatic. But here you have a crunchy, crispy baguette with deliciously earthy mushrooms. And then a drippy melted brie on top. Oh, pop, yes. you know, pop that in the oven. Oh, it's and an open face sandwich, Lana. That is right perfect, up your alley. Perfect. And it makes a great appetizer for the holidays. Oh. Slice your baguette in a round. Oh, perfect. And put your mushrooms on there. Put a little piece of brie. Pop a whole sheet pan in the oven. 
put the, you know, get your microplaner out and grate some lemon peel mm. and throw some fresh thyme. Alongside a salad even as, you know, a, a starter, as an appetizer, as a yep. tray pass with your glass of champagne or as a vegetarian addition yes. to the meal. I love that. Okay, what we've all been waiting for, Christine. Yes. The blood orange tart recipe. Oh. I, I have to tell you, I, I know you love to share the wealth, but this was a big deal sharing this recipe. This was on your very first pastry menu at the cafe, right? And you right. opened during blood orange season, right. and now you've managed to keep them year-round. The growers are thanking you. Well, you know, the, <laughs> the blood oranges are just beautiful. Yes. And heaven. we just need more tremendous fruits like that in our lives, you know, between the quince and the blood orange, but the, the blood orange is tart and the almond cream gives it a, you know, a really nice sweetness and the pastry's crispy and warm and it just, you know, the, the orange is acidic and it just has all the elements to make one happy. Well, I can't wait to be entirely happy when I make my first batch, although I know they won't be as delectable as yours. Are you kidding? I'm making brownie cups as well. Not too sweet and a bit fudgy, you say. If it's your favorite brownie ever, then I just can't wait. And you did the sesame chocolate bouchon. You know, chocolate and sesame is a tremendous combination. I can't wait for you to try that one. Oh, you know, I can't wait either. In fact, I had just been working this past week on my 2013 trends when I, when I love to forecast cast at the end of the year and see what has you know come true brown better i was right on about i think sesame mm. is really going to have a resurgence yeah. so your cake is going to be an uh, ever continuing hit it is the true fabulous flavor the beautifully seasoned well balanced gorgeously crafted food at little flower cafe in pasadena that christine moore has become known for and now you could bring the recipes into your kitchen the cookbook is called little flower recipes from the cafe and you can find out more at little flower candyco.com Christine we can't wait to see you again soon and uh, we wish you of course continued success and please keep bringing us those glorious desserts oh, we'll, oh, see, you. You, we'll see you at the restaurant yes oh, we'll I see can't you wait. soon I can't wait I'll put the champagne on ice <laughs> Marvelous. Thank, thank you so much for your, your exceptionally flavored food is in our future it was really nice to catch up with Christine Moore. Grab this cookbook. It's really delightful. We're loading your plate with more scrumptious ideas after this. Be right back. A bottle of red, a bottle of white. Informative, entertaining, and delicious. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio as the culinary commentary continues. Autumn entertaining recipes to me are so wine friendly that this task should be pretty easy. Porchetta and braised chicken dishes and hearty chilies and ratatouille and all the wonderful game that we're planning on our menus, my favorite rustic dishes, definitely deserve a toast this season. And joining us with the Cork Report this morning is Michael Jordan, Vice President of Food and Beverage for the Ranch Restaurant and Saloon in Anaheim and a master sommelier. We call him the sommelier for the people, and we're very proud to have him as our resident wine expert here in your radio. I'm also proud to call him my wine mentor. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Chef Jamie. Hi, Lana. Hi. We're glad to have you back. Oh, I'm so delighted to be with you. It's been too long, and we've, in fact, since we had you last, changed seasons. So now we're getting into some of this really rustic, wonderful fare that I love to cook. This is my favorite season to cook. One of my favorite seasons, too, the 
fall is amazing. Amazing, right? And the leaves are just beginning to change here in Southern California, finally. And I think that some of Chef Michael Rossi, your chef at the ranch's greatest talent is this season of cooking. So tell us what's going on at the restaurant, first and foremost. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Fall is amazing with all the stuff that's coming in right now. And we have uh, just started a brand new tasting menu. We offer a four-course tasting menu uh, at the restaurant, and it's paired with four wines, if you wish, or if not, that's okay, too. And uh, it's just perfect for the season. It, mm-hmm. It's, you know, we change it every few weeks, and we were really excited about this fall change because it's all the flavors of the fall right now. Okay, so this will take us through what will be our fall menus. So as we're planning our dishes for the month of October, as we get um, through to the end of the month and Halloween, and then, of course, having you back in advance of Thanksgiving, these are the kind of dishes that we're going to see on menus so that we can learn to better pair, and the kind of dishes that we're going to be making at home that we'll know what bottle to pull out of the cellar or the wine fridge or the bottom of the coat closet. So tell us where the tasting menu starts, and that will give us a, a good starting point. Great. Well, we're starting with a yellowfin tuna fresh from pristine island waters, mm. and that's being served raw. It's sushi grade, and it's got all these chopped up and diced uh, two kinds of olives and capers and mm. all of the flavors of muffaletta. You know, Ooh, like salty, tangy, yummy. Exactly. Fabulous. These little, little diced cubes of citrus jelly that mm. they have made, uh, and that ties it really to the acidity of this great dry rosé wine that we're pouring with it. It's called Chocolate. I love the name, Chocolate. Chocolate. And it's from the hills up above San Sebastian in Spain. You can see San Sebastian in the ocean from these vineyards. Tiny, tiny production, but this, this lightly pink dry rosé wine is, is lower in alcohol, so it's crisp and fresh and dry. It has a little bit of spritz to it, so when you pour it, it gets a little frothy. And if that just doesn't make you thirsty, mm-hmm. I don't know what does. <laughs> I, I love the idea of the effervescence, and I love that you brought up dry rosé, because I was going to mention to you charcuterie. I think that there's a wonderful rustic start to any autumn meal with, uh, you know, all the best, whether it be prosciutto or the Spanish serrano or some of the Italian meats or hams, and then, you know, good cheeses and caper berries and a mix of olives, and so you've got the, the richness of the meat or even you know, the richness of the tuna, the crudo, as you talked sure. about, and then the salty tang, and then this gorgeous complement of rosé. I did some homework in advance okay. of you coming on, because I okay. always do. I and know you do. I know that worldwide production of rosé wines have increased by 13% over the past few years, and they're saying that it's a very dynamic growth. Are we seeing more rosé drank around the world you know, oh, more definitely. than ever. And you know what's funny? We're seeing it like everywhere except right here, right. honestly. <laughs> okay, we need to catch land, up. <laughs> I don't know. And you and I, we're waving this flag and banner and drum, you know. Uh, it seems like, you know, every few months about rosés and dry rosé. And it is perfect for the lifestyle here in the Southern California Riviera and all the great food that we have all year long. Because as you say, with those with those tangy or salty or you know savory flavors, mm-hmm. uh, it can go with everything except like a char steak, you know, <laughs> just about. Mm, and uh, it has the acidity and the cherry berry flavors, and there's so many types of dry rosé from like a- almost every grape now, from Pinot Noir, 
soft and delicate and pretty from Cabernet Sauvignon, a little more bold from Syrah Grenache, which is the classic southern French style. And now we're really just discovering the ones from Spain and Italy that go with your heirloom tomato salad or, or charcuterie or antipasto or just about anything that you could put down as a little appetizer or entree. Dry rosé. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking white Zinfandel here. We're talking dry, crisp, fresh, fruity, lower in alcohol, so refreshing, delicious to drink wine. Michael, which one of those would go with my baked ham? I believe we'll be uh, baking more hams than this year oh, than Anna. ever before. Yes. Well, with, with a baked ham that has that salty component. Mm -hmm. Actually, Fred Scherer, one of our great winemaker friends, turned me on to a dry rosé that he had made out of Syrah and Zinfandel. Oh. And that was the perfect pairing with the baked ham. In fact, we ate it together. I was thoroughly impressed and he said that it would work really well with turkey as well nice. but it was so good like especially one of those smoked turkeys you know from texas or uh that style that comes a little bit ham texture and flavor oh my goodness with that big ham his dry rosé syrah based i think uh is it was just really killer sharer that's frank sharer and his dry rosé sharer winery right uh, S-C-H-E-R-R-E-R, -R -E -R, a little tough to find, but worth it. But worth it. And, you know, this is the kind of wine that we talk about. We've spent so many years talking about how effervescence, bubbles, uh, sparkling wine or champagne from any region, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, a Napa sparkler or uh, Italian Prosecco, a Spanish Cava, it's the ultimate, what I call, cross-menu pairing because you could serve champagne and everyone should know by now you could start with a sparkler and end with a sparkler and it will work all the way through and it's really very versatile well rosé is starting to stand alongside dry rosé in my opinion oh, yeah. any of those sparklers because yes so versatile and and the sparkling wines too I'm really food friendly yeah really food friendly so this is a wine that you could invest in buy a case of keep in the bottom of the coat closet keep it in your wine fridge and know that as we come into the ham holidays mom throughout the mm -hmm. season right as we come to oh, tea yeah. day or Turkey Day, for that matter, that this is a very versatile, food-friendly wine, the dry rosé. Find one that you like and start pairing it with every meal, whether it be celebratory or otherwise. There's really something very lively and lovely and aperitif-like about it oh, yeah. that I think is wonderful. One of the best things, too, is it's not expensive. It's so inexpensive. Exactly. Or to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> more and know, more and more. And lunch and dinner and, and like an aperitif, as you mm, say, like bring the first wine of the meal yes. that opens up your taste buds and makes you hungry for more. Mm, you know, Love that. Perfect for that. Tell us about your next impressive course on the tasting menu. Are we, are we going into some sort of rich, hearty game? Actually, well, we're, we're using these amazing uh, hand-harvested scallops. Ooh. And uh, we're wrapping some figs in the prosciutto di San Daniele from our good friend Alberto oh. Minardi. The game is coming, right? We're going venison. Oh, I know yeah. you are. I knew you know it. That. I knew yeah. it. Okay, go back to scallops. So okay, they're so wrapped in the prosciutto. Beautiful seared scallops oh. with... Uh, with this hazelnut crumble and the the figs off our trees at the farm wow. uh, that we grow, uh, wrapped in the prosciutto San Daniele with a beautiful uh, Talbot Chardonnay because we want something that's really well balanced and seamless, not too oaky, and it worked really good. But then, as you're saying, and, well, you knew it was coming, we're going to go, you know, uh, venison chop. The red deer is just in season, and, you know, 
anything Zinfandel or a soft, velvety red wine is perfect, usually with really uh, well-made uh, venison. And this isn't your grandpa's venison, the one that, you know, we waited on the tower in the forest to shoot. This is <laughs> raised right, delicious, sweet meat. And uh, we've got one with, uh, we got some sweet potatoes and an amazing reduction. And we're pouring that concrete mm. anthology, although... Sausalito Canyon Zinfandel was the second runner-up of the wines. We started with six wines. We ended up with two. We decided on one uh, to pair with it because we work real hard to make these pairings on the tasting menu. Yes, and, uh, we know you do. Tell us about it, the Zin. You know, you taught me strawberry jam and Zin <laughs> were, you know, two names that went together per se. And so yeah. if it's jammy, I'm in. Yeah, boy, me too. Yes. You know, I've got that sweet tooth and I love strawberries. And the Zinfandel in California, it's our state grape. Uh, we, we make two basic styles here. There's that big jammy in your face, yummy uh, cooked fruit, like you're saying. Yeah, that's style. the and one then, for me. Oh, boy, me too. But mm. I also kind of like the Chianti style, if you will, which is a little drier and a little bit lighter. Uh, it may be more versatile with food, but the type of food that we tend to end up talking about on your show that I love so much, which is barbecue and just like I'm the sommelier for the people, and what are we cooking at home, and what are we entertaining with at home? Mm. Those are the wines that we're looking to pair for that type of cuisine, and we're coming up on football season. We're going to be barbecuing outside and coming in and watch the game. Yeah. Zinfandel is always perfect for that, mm. and uh, softer, velvety wines are good, and, and I also like Sangiovese-based wines because they have the acidity to pair with so many dishes, and we found one, Gargiulo Vineyards from Oakville and Napa. Gargiulo. Oh, my gosh. 96% Sangiovese, 4% Cabernet Sauvignon. The nice. wine is called Aprile. It's named after uh, Jeff's daughter, April Gargiulo. Mm. Holy cats. This wine is every, it's like a California dream. It's, mm. it's <laughs> like a Cabernet because it's got richness and, and body, but it's got the acidity and the red fruit and the, mm. and the, the brightness to go with a myriad of dishes. It could go with the fowl and the mm. wild game. Whatever you like, and I, I think we should get out and try new different wines and discover things mm. and have fun. I, I agree with you. Sangiovese, Syrah, Dry Rosé, uh, Chardonnay, whatever it is that is your style, there's a wine for every season, every reason. Michael, please stay with us. We'd love a few more minutes with you. When we come back, there is more wine education in your radio. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana and the sommelier for the people, Michael Jordan, Vice President of Food and Beverage for the Ranch Restaurant and Saloon in Anaheim with us. As the days shorten and the weather turns cooler, we are recommending some rich wines to savor. I love the idea of that Sangiovese that you left off talking about, Michael, because that, again, a, a really wonderful red wine pairing. And, you know, we receive lots of wonderful emails from all of our onophile listeners, those wine lovers out there that want to learn from you. So if you don't mind, I'd like to pose a couple of questions here. Oh, I'm happy to. Thank you. Justin is looking for a New Zealand Syrah suggestion from you and a little bit of background on New Zealand wines, if you would enlighten us. Oh, that's great. Well, there's one particular little boutique winery uh, called Bridge Pa, two words, Bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, second word, Pa, P-A, and they make a Syrah is really darn good down mm. there, and, you know, it's it's a pretty good question because it's not really known for Syrah, yeah, yeah mostly known for 
Sauvignon Blancs and now Pinot Noirs and a little bit of uh, sparkling wine. Uh, New Zealand's really coming across, i, I got to say, um, the two islands, North Island, South Island. On the North Island, in Hawke's Bay, there's a place called, near Auckland, is a place called uh, Gimblet Gravels, which is a really hot, up-and-coming produ- production area. What producing a great name. Amazing wine. There's, i got to tell you about a discovery wine from there. Craggy Range. Wine Craggy range. range. I've heard you talk about Craggy yep. Range. Known for, like, really killer Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. And Pinot. But they make a Bordeaux blend called Sophia. Sophia. Oh, my gosh. This is, like, I think one of the best red wine coming out of all of New Zealand. Really? It's a Bordeaux blend, you know, a velvety-rich Cabernet Sauvignon-based blend. Uh, the last place in the world you would expect that, New Zealand. But it's delicious. Oh, they they have a lot of major wine-growing areas over a very large land. Yeah. And, you know, it's speculated that I know there are a lot more wonderful things to come from New Zealand. So we'll continue to watch, and we oh, will try certainly. the wine. Thank you. Yeah. And then um, we have a question with regard to port for the holidays. Suzanne is planning early, she says. Oh, and she's looking to give port as a gift. She's a fan. I happen to be a port lover as well, and that's my sweet tooth talking for sure. <laughs> if you would recommend one, I have a favorite, MJ. Um, when we were last up in Napa with Tom Rinaldi of Provenance Love Vineyards, what oh, a cool great, guy, right? Great winery, great guy. Yeah, and he makes great red and grand white. And he was the first uh, winemaker, or anyone for that matter, I've ever seen open a screw top by rolling the bottle down his arm like you would a top hat. It was pretty cool. He makes a delectable port. And I love the idea that Suzanne is considering for the holidays. A small bottle of a sweet wine as a gift. Maybe you make some dark chocolate dried cherry biscotti to go along with it. And you have this gift, homemade gift of food. Oh, my gosh. I have a question for Michael because would you serve it on the cool side? It's a great question. I I would want, uh, just like any red wine, I would want it coming out of my cellar. Somewhere around 50 degrees oh. and 55 degrees, and then as it warms up to probably 60, 65 degrees, you're going to get the best flavors out of it. Any red wine, well, in our Southern California lifestyle, we're kind of stuck with what we got here because it's warm. But when red wine gets up to 80 degrees, a lot of the flavors and aromas really shut down. Mm. Uh, so really, the most I think ideal temp is around 60, 65, and in order for it to be there, you want to start at like 50, 55 if you can. Mm. Uh, it's going to warm up on the table. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. our refrigerators are 40 degrees, so that's a little too cool. But uh, I wouldn't really stress on that. But, you know, Chef Jamie, as you say, I love port wines, and I love them as gifts because uh, you can get them in half bottles. Yes. And either as port wine from Portugal or all these really cool uh, dessert wines being made here in California or around the world out of, you know, being called port-like wines. Uh, boy, my buddy, our buddy, Bob Cabral up at William Selyam makes wow. the port out of real true uh, Portuguese varietals in the Mistral Vineyard in the Central Coast. And if you can even touch that, it's amazing. Okay, We're you flatter me. I know you're pouring it by the glass. You, you flatter me. Because, by the way, wait, Bob you Cabral are? is your friend. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I happen 
to know him. And, oh, he, and I he will tell you. you, oh, he's so cool. You know, yeah. um, in fact, Emerald's uh, big charity event, the gala, Carnival yeah. Devan is yeah. coming up, and he's always there, and I yeah, will be cooking once again. Yeah, they're buds. But he oh, they said, are. He asked me about you. He always um, remembers me, Michael. Bob it's the craziest thing. Well, Chef Jamie, who could forget Oh, come you? on. Come he's on. super cool. Lana, he am is. I right? Come on. You're right. Thank you. You're he's right. super cool. I've not tasted his port, though, so if we can get our hands on it, we certainly will. Okay, come to the ranch. We're pouring it by the glass. We will one of be our there. Ooh, love and it. This is, Can't wait. This is one of those things that you're not even going to get on the mailing list to get. No, We've that's got a true. bunch of boxes of it, and All we're right. pouring it by the glass. It's the ranch. It's mm. yummy. We're coming over. Oh. Uh, the ranch, restaurant, and saloon is in Anaheim, just a few miles off Ball Road, the opposite side of the happiest place on earth. But trust me, this is one of the happiest places on earth. Chef Michael Rossi with his new fall tasting menu. Uh, being served now, yes, Michael? Oh, yeah. Okay, Come good. Come on down. Come on we'll, down. We'll and see you for dinner. When you're done, you can two-step in the saloon next door, and you might just uh, get graced by Andrew's presence, too. Oh, yeah, he's there. He's so always there. You are making incredible waves in the world of food, Michael, and wine, for that matter. And oh, thanks. we're very just excited for the continued success of the ranch. We'll see you there. You'll find Master Sommelier, but the sommelier for the people we like to call him, Michael Jordan, at the ranch. Uh, of oh, course, so sweet. restaurant and If I can and make saloon. one request, yes, sir. please, folks, if you're going to come down and see us, make sure you tell us that you heard about the ranch from Chef Jamie on her show, okay? Because that's important. Because they'll seat you in the corner. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> the best corner. Yeah, that's right. MJ, we'll see you before the holidays right here on the radio with um, more ham and turkey tips, right? Oh, yeah. And perfect pairings. Thank you. All right, ladies. I'll see you for Thank dinner. You. Okay, we we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Michael. Goodbye. There's more delicious conversation in the Sundays to come. Check out chefjamie.com where we're serving up seconds. A big thank you to Panera Bread this morning. We're eating pink ribbon bagels in studio all through October. You'll find these beautiful pink ribbon bagels made with cherry chips and dried cherries and cranberries and vanilla and honey and brown sugar. And a portion of the proceeds go to benefit breast cancer charities. It's sweet in every way. Check out PaneraBread.com for more information. That is a delicious bagel, Lana. Wow. Fabulous. Truly Facts delicious. in your order and you will enjoy your mornings. Yeah, and, and a really lovely way to give back. Most there definitely. are more fabulous fall tips and recipes in your radio. Next Sunday, we'll meet you right here. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana signing off. Thanks for listening. We hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by TasteBud Entertainment.
The following is a pay.